Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. If we've never met before, my name is Justin. My wife Jennifer and I are pastors here at Vivid. And uh, we, we believe God has a, an incredible thing in store, not only for us, but uh, for our city. Do you believe that? I look around the room and uh, I see people that I love and people that I'm just predisposed. I like you already. I don't even know you, but I like you, okay? If you're here today, we like you. You don't have to prove anything. And I'm so grateful that God has called you here. I think we need a new way of thinking about our city. You're not here just for a job. You're here because God has called you. You're not here just for a season. You're here because God has called you. As long as you are here, this is where God has called you, and he has a purpose for you. And his purpose is not just to exist. His purpose is not just to to take up oxygen and pay rent. God's going to use you. He's going to use you beyond what you thought was possible. Okay, you're like, well, I'm just finishing off school. Then in your school, God has called you. And I'm grateful. I, I count it an honor that God would call all of us to the city of Vancouver for today. It's amazing. November 18th, we're all called here. How cool is that? Unbelievable. It's amazing. We're in a series right now called Risk and Reward, a series about faith. And today I have some practical thoughts on faith that I'd love to share with you. And coming out of a a faith-growing worship time, I just want to roll straight there. Is that cool with everyone? Are you okay with that? Okay, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians if you have your Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is talking, who, by the way, was pretty wise and pretty persuasive. There are some ways in which the Apostle Paul and I are similar. I'm not sure if this is one of them. But uh, he was wise and he was persuasive. He had a way with words. And here he is to the Corinthian church. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, So it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message that I preached was not wise or persuasive, but it was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Jesus, I pray today as I I share from your word that you would work in power, that the faith that grows within us would not be rested on human wisdom, but it truly would be founded on the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. We're just getting to know each other here. If you're here for the first time, we love you a lot. And uh, We've got a gift for you today. We'd love to get to know you. We really we say things like doing life together, whatever that means. We just want to be friends, okay? We're not looking for you to just be part of, of uh, an event that we do on a Sunday morning. We want to share lives together and, and have relationship. And uh, whenever we gather as a church, we open up. God's word. We open up the scripture. I believe it's got power and relevance for today. We don't have to make it relevant. We simply have to just be still sometimes and see what the word of God is is saying to us. Risk and reward, I believe it's what faith feels like. Faith feels a lot like risk. Faith feels like risk. In Hebrews 11, it says this, like faith is the substance of the things we hope for. 
Meaning like you take, have you ever heard someone say take a step of faith? It is taking a step onto what appears to be only hope and then having the confidence that on the other side of that there's some substance there. That's what faith is. That feels risky. There's some people who have never actually taken a step of faith because they've lived in a realm where they want proof. And the greatest proof of faith is on the other side of that step. When you step up and say, and say, well, that actually happened. God continuously does this in Scripture. People say, prove it. And he goes, okay, here's how I'm going to prove it. Go do what I said and then come back and you'll see. It's an amazing thing. Prove it. I live this way often with, with my kids. I, I ask them to do something. And sometimes the question, if you have kids, you know it. Why? The easy answer is because I said so. But, but a, a more real and true answer is you'll see. You'll see why. I think that's the, the, the attitude God often has with us. Here's what I, I'm calling you to. Why? You'll see. You'll see. But it's on the other side of that risk. i got to take out a step of faith before I'll see. That's kind of what it feels like. But the reality is this, that, that faith is not only risk, it's reward. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, it says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because we must first believe that he is And second, believe that God is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Meaning this, on the other side of that risk, God has reward for you. He has reward for you. That reward may look like peace. Peace in a chaotic situation where you say, man, I live by faith, not by sight. So you see chaos around me. All I know is that that I have the presence of God on the inside of me. I'm at total peace. That reward for you may look like blessing where God he actually can command his blessing on our lives. Do you know one of the things that commands God's blessing is unity? That's what the Bible says in the book of Psalms, that when we are unified, it commands God's blessing. So there's God in heaven. He sees people unified. He's like, oh, I like that so much. I got to bless it. I, 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 I can't resist that. Unity, it's what I'm looking for on the earth. And it commands the blessing of God. The reward, but it takes a risk. It takes some faith to be unified with people who think differently, act differently, rub us the wrong way. Risk and reward, it's what faith feels like. Take a risk, a step of obedience. And on the other side of that, obedience is a reward. That's what salvation feels like. Where you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that a perfect God would accept me just as I am. I'm going to stop trying to earn it. I'm just going to take a step of faith and believe that he is who he says he is. And then I'm going to experience the reward of eternal life. That begins now, by the way, not, not when you die. Contrary to popular opinion, Christianity is pretty morbid if that's the whole story. Good news. Now you're saved. Can't wait to die. <laughs> Your relationship with Jesus begins in the moment that you receive him. And there's, there's a series of steps, always a next step of faith. And in that step of faith, you experience the reward. Paul, who's writing here and he talks about simplicity, at one part in Scripture he says this, I counted this blessing that I actually get to suffer for Jesus. What a reward that I get to sacrifice something that I, I used to think was mine and now I happily lay that down for other people so other people could experience his power. And as I do, I experience God's power, not only just to me, but actually working through me. Risk and reward. Today, if you're taking notes, uh, the title of this 
series of, of quick thoughts is gains. 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 Remember, I used to work on a, a construction crew, and uh, it was tough work. It was, it was pretty hard labor. And, uh, and the employer who I had, his, his theory was this, I do not pay well, but I do pay overtime. So those who are willing to work hard will do well here. And, uh, and, and by virtue of that, it, it was a pretty high turnover on our crew. I worked for a lot of years on that crew, but there was a high turnover. And, and you began to see a trend that existed, that there were some who came and they had what, what you could call like show muscles, okay? They weren't, they weren't legit. They weren't real. They were creatine-induced. They were full of water, but, man, they looked good. And I had this one friend, man, he was absolutely shredded with some of the weakest muscles on the planet. It's unbelievable. It looked great. Like, like lunch break when he took his shirt off to tan, you're like, wow, but then he couldn't do a thing. Unbelievable. And it was amazing. He always would clock out the earliest possible time. He's like, guys, I got to go work out. Like, I got to go work my muscles. We're like, bro, we work labor. You get paid to do that. It's interesting. He just had this kind of, this, this very showy set of muscles. And then there was the guys who just had, like, like, sneaky strength. You know what I'm talking about? Like, some people call it dad strength. They're like, how are your hands that strong? You just undid that nut from that bolt? That's crazy. How did you do that? Like, people who, who have learned to use their core, who've learned to use, like, man, your legs have more power than your bicep. You know what I'm talking about? People who just have that sneaky strength, like they're sneaky strong. Now, there are people who have both. God bless those people. They look good, and they can do a lot looking good while they do it. But, but I, I learned, we, we, we started to identify there was those people who were trying to take a shortcut and just looked apart, and then those who were just doing the work. When it comes to faith, I think there is this temptation to, to look the part. Maybe it's just me. But I think there can be a temptation to look the part. Got to learn the lingo, learn the jargon, so I can say a few things, drop a couple, you know, in Jesus' names here and there. I don't know exactly why the Bible sounds Shakespearean, but if I learn how to put the ifs, at the end of the word properly, right? Like, like which way do I cross? Up, down, side, which way does it go? I got to do some things that look and feel and sound spiritual. I think there's times where in a show we go, I got to grab some really educated sounding words. Like if I can work propitiation into a sentence, just slip it in there, the eloquence that will flow, people will be like, I don't even know what that means, but wow, they've got faith. Show muscles, show muscles. Like, like, give me a person who actually leans in and trusts in God. This is what Paul's saying. He goes, I didn't come at you and just show off my muscles. Like, sure, I got both. Paul, Paul at one point, he's like, do you want to compare? Okay, let's do this. He goes, if you want to just talk about who's followed the rules the best. He's like, I'm, I am, he goes, I was born from the right family. I grew up in the right neighborhood. I went to the right school, and I got summa cum laude. I, like, I did it all, but I have determined that none of that means anything unless I just know the power of God, unless I actually have some real faith on the inside of me. Today, I want to talk to you about gains, not shortcuts, gains, real gains over the long haul. 
where you say, I am stronger now than I used to be. In the book of Luke, chapter 17, turn to Luke. I won't make you turn anywhere else today, okay? Luke 17, Luke 17 in verse 5. Luke 17 in verse 5, the disciples asked Jesus this very question. Luke 17 in verse 5, it says this, Then the disciples said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Or in other words, we want gains. Like, Jesus, we've seen your faith slash fitness insta. We want to look more like you look. How do we get to where you are? What's the secret? What are the steps? I want to look like you look. I want to live like you look. Increase our faith. Is that your prayer today? Is that your heart today to grow in faith? I hope that's your heart today because we, we've, like, we've sung about it. I've seen you move mountains. I believe you do it again. There's more mountains for us to to climb. Do you believe that? There's more obstacles for us to overcome. There's going to be more fights for us to fight. We're going to need to grow in faith. There's nothing worse than just plateau. There's not a single person here, you're at a place where you should plateau. I'm not, I am not happy. If I stay the way I am today, there's something wrong with me. I want to keep on growing. Are you with me? I want to grow in my faith. So I'm saying, like the disciples, God, increase my faith. Increase my faith. When we pray a prayer like this, we ask a prayer like this, usually what we're looking for is the ground to shake, right? Maybe some lasers, like certainly like some background music, like a backing track, and there'll be like this moment where all of a sudden we go from a spiritual weakling to a superhero. Like we're looking for that, that Marvel origin story. I got bit by a spider and I just came out this way. Right, like we're just looking for that that moment where God turns us from one thing into another thing. And, but faith grows, faith grows. Real faith, enduring faith, it grows over time. So here's the disciples. They say, "Increase our faith." And here's the way Jesus responds to this. I find this so compelling that they ask this question sandwiched in between Jesus giving a little quip, telling a story, and doing a miracle. Okay, a short little piece of wisdom, telling a story, and then doing a miracle. If you want to grow in your faith, you got to live with Jesus, and you're going to find there's little things that you're like, oh, I could put that into practice. And there's going to be stories that apply to your life as you read the word, and there's going to be the miraculous happening around you, and you're going to increase your faith. Jesus never actually says, oh, great question. I'm glad you asked it. You know, it's interesting that, that growth it comes through this mechanism of relationship. They were close enough to Jesus to say, you have something we don't have. How do we have the thing that you have? We see that you're like, you are running on a different type of fuel. I want what you've got. Would you increase our faith? And I, I bet you they, they came up to Jesus and like, more, Lord. Do it, God. Yeah, I'm ready, ready to receive. And Jesus just kept telling his story, right? They're like, okay, I'm ready. Stop. Stop everything, I'm ready to receive faith. And Jesus just kept being who Jesus was, and in the process, he grew their faith. Let me show you in this, this little passage, I'm going I'm to read it for you, four different ways that you can grow in your faith, okay? It's going to be super practical today, four ways you can grow in your faith. Check this out, uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 1. This is what Jesus was talking about when they interrupted him to say, grow our faith. It says this, uh, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Another translation says this, it's impossible not to offend people. I like that one. Things that cause people to stumble or offend people are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. 
It would be better for them to be thrown into a sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble in their faith. So watch yourself. Turn to the person beside you and say, watch yourself. Then he says this, if your brother and sister sin against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day. And then seven times they come back to you saying, I repent. You must forgive them. To which the disciples say, Jesus, grow our faith. If we're going to have that type of strength, we're going to need to see some gains. Grow our faith. Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and go plant yourself in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after a sheep. Will he say to the servant when they come in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? Weird story. After that, then you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the borders between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a great distance. They called out with a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God. In a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan, which is like worthy of noting, because in that culture, he was uh, probably at cultural odds and definitely political odds with Jesus. They would not have seen things the same. They were looking at the same situation through different lenses, and yet he was grateful. Jesus asked, were not there ten of you? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise except for this one person? Then the man said to him, or Jesus said to the man, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So in the midst of this story, the disciples are asking Jesus to increase their faith. And I believe the implication that Jesus gives is, I am. Like, increase our faith. He's like, yeah, I am. Time with me, I am increasing your faith. Listen to the things I'm saying. Put them into practice. I am actually growing your faith. And he gives four ways for you and I. This week, your faith can grow if you do these things. First of all, he says this, it's impossible for people to not be offended. But then speaking in hyperbole, like in big, dramatic, vivid language, he's like, but woe to the person who causes that offense. Man, it would be better for you to like tie a big rock around your neck and just be thrown into the sea because that's a terrible thing to be the person who causes an offense. Pretty rough, right? So it's interesting that this word offense, um, it comes from a Greek word, which means a stick used to bait a trap. A bent stick that you could stick inside of a trap and push the bait where it needed to go in order to trap an unexpected animal. That's the word Jesus uses. He goes, hey, people are going to get trapped, but don't be the one who pushes the bait in there and traps them. Like, don't be the offender. Now, implied in this is people will always be offended. So it's impossible to thoroughly avoid offense. And certainly Jesus does not mean in a literal sense, tie a stone around your neck and throw yourself in the sea. But what he is saying is this, take it seriously that you're not the person 
who's going around throwing your weight, throwing your opinion, inserting yourself into places you, you ought not be just to offend somebody. Man, there are too many people who love the sound of their own voice way too much. Jesus is saying this, hey, a really practical way to grow in your faith is don't be the offender. Don't be the person who's starting fights. Why are you quarreling? Why are you, you building walls around yourself? Don't be that person who's picking for a fight all the time. Of course, people are going to get offended. But I think sometimes we say this. We make a statement like this. Oh, I, could, I can't help myself. If you're taking notes, write that down. I can't help myself. In the I can't help myself conversations, I just had to speak up. I just had to be the one. That I, oh, I didn't like what they were saying. I had to. Sorry. I know I'm not in your conversation, but do you actually believe that politically? Let me tell you all the things I believe about that. What are you doing? If you want to grow in faith, a very practical way is not the big grand gestures where you are desperate and there is no other hope. I think faith grows through little things. I think faith grows through the patience to say, I'm going to hold my tongue. I would rather keep peace. I would rather grow relationship. I'm going to trust that God is going to show himself through me and not be the person who's always looking to pick a fight. So in those times, you're like, well, I just can't help myself. I'm just that kind of person. I'm just blunt that way. Well, maybe you need to work a little harder on this one piece. Because the, the Bible's pretty clear. Like, people of God shouldn't be walking around looking for quarrels, not looking to pick fights. So number one, in situations where you say, well, I can't help myself. Yes, you can. Faith could help you get there. You could grow in faith to help yourself. By God's grace, you could actually be the person who can be unified with someone that you disagree with. That's what the church looks like, by the way. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. That a group of people who think differently and prefer different things could actually be unified around one thing. It will draw all the attention to that one thing, and that's what matters. Now, I was reading this morning, uh, Charles Spurgeon, in describing faith, Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher. He said this, one cannot look at their own faith any easier than they could look at their own eyeball. Think about that. The eyeball is for seeing, but you can't actually see it. Even in a mirror, you're only seeing a reflection of that eyeball. Though the eyeball sees, the seeing is not the focus. In the same manner, faith gives us the ability to see, but faith in and of itself is not the focus. What we put our faith in is the focus. So if you trust that God is the, is the one who speaks truth, okay, that, that he will defend you, you don't have to be looking around and picking fights with everyone. For someone, this is going to change your marriage this week. You're going to say, why am I picking fights? Like offense is inevitable, but I don't want to be that stick that's always poking. I'm just going to stop, and I'm going to trust God to grow my faith little by little. Gains, real strength, not show muscles. Not eloquence that goes, well, let me tell you what I think, and I'm going to talk circles around you until you feel stupid. But the type of strength that's just, I'm just going to hold my ground. I'm good. And then he says this, but if you're the one getting offended, like, be clear about it, but when someone asks for forgiveness, give it to them. At this point in time, there was a rabbinic saying, like the rabbis of the time said, that a perfect person would forgive three times. That's what made you a perfect person. If you were perfect, like, it's, like, acceptable that all us normals, like, we're only going to forgive once. I had a friend, he used to say this. I just, here's my, my motto. I trust everyone completely until they fail and then they're dead to me. 
Ironically, we're not friends anymore. I'm like, that's, that's dumb on both sides. You trust everyone completely? That's really dumb. And then they get one strike and they're out? That's pretty dumb too. So the rabbis of the time said, let's not be those people. Let, let's, let's work towards a goal, the end goal being the craziest possible imagination. Is Imagine if someone did the same thing three times, but they were sorry three times. Forgive them all three of those times. That would make you perfect. And so this was the bar. This was the standard to which everyone was like, look, I don't have to be like total keener who's getting straight A's. I'm good with two, right? I'm good with two. I'm not, I'm not like a flawed person who can't forgive after the first time. I'm, I'm pretty patient. So I, I forgive twice. Third time, come on, I'm not that perfect. Here Jesus, he goes, hey, I just want to blow your minds a little bit. Even if it was seven times, keep on forgiving. Like twice what is perfect and then a little bit extra. Is Jesus like making some big statements or what? How crazy is that? First of all, he's like, hey, don't be an offender. Be better just like be drowned. That's pretty big statements. And then he's like, hey, and if someone is like relentlessly terrible to you and it even takes seven times, just keep on forgiving them. Do you know what will happen when you do that? You'll grow in your faith. Sometime this week, you're going to have a situation where you're like, I can't even... But you can. The Bible says you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So the next time you're offended, the next time you're hurt, be that type of person who extends forgiveness. Now, this doesn't mean we just, we, we just turn a blind eye and we just say, I'm fine, I'm fine, whatever, it's fine, I, I'm okay, I'm fine. He says, hey, if someone's hurt you, rebuke them, like tell them. But then when they're repentant, forgive them. But I, I can't even. Yes, you can. They're like, I don't know. How can we be double perfect plus some. You're going to need to grow on your faith. Jesus is like, okay, actually what you need for faith is not more of it. You just need to put what you have into practice. So he goes, even if you have a little bit of faith, like we're talking mustard seed level, you could speak to a mulberry bush to unplant itself and grow in the seed. Someone's like, I don't know what a mulberry bush is. So it sounds kind of nice. Let me tell you what a mulberry bush is. A mulberry bush had incredibly deep and uh, very structurally sound roots, so much so that a mulberry bush could grow for up to 600 years with incredible depth. For some of us, we live with an offense that is that strong. The roots are going way down deep. You can't see much in the surface, but there's a whole lot of backstory. Right? You get triggered real easy. And Jesus says this, you actually don't need a lot of faith. You don't need to be like, you don't need show muscles when it comes to forgiveness. You actually just need to do the work. Just forgive. And even a little bit of faith could actually uproot a long established bitterness that you hold and just pull it right out of your life. Some of you are like, well, I'm bitter, and my mom's bitter, and my grandma's bitter, and then my uncles. You don't want to get there all bitter. And it's just, it's in our family. It's a hereditary thing. Guess what? Just a little bit of faith applied can actually pull that type of bitterness out and set you free, set you completely free. So it goes this, in situations where you're like, oh, I can't help myself. Yes, you can. In situations where you're like, I can't even. They totally hurt. Yeah, you can even. You can forgive. It, I mean, it would take an increase of faith for sure, but you know what will happen? It will actually increase your faith. Here the disciples were thinking, we need more faith, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. If you do these things, you will actually develop more faith. You do the things that you thought were impossible, 
little step by little step, you will become the strong person that you dreamed of becoming. So it's not about having this profound big moment where all of a sudden you're shredded and you're full of water mass and it's a bunch of show muscles. It's about getting really strong. And you will get offended this week. And when you do, forgive. And you will find yourself in a situation where with one word you could destroy that person. Don't be that stick. Don't bait that trap. Don't push that button. Don't trigger that person, even though it's kind of fun to watch them spin. Stop it. You can't forgive. And then, he's, and then he tells a story, right? So there's like a couple little like wisdom pieces, little pithy statements, where he's like this. It's impossible not to offend, but wouldn't want to be the offender. When you get offended, forgive. You can do it. Set yourself free. It'll increase your faith. And then he tells this interesting sort of story. In this interesting sort of story, he's like, hey, any of you here have, like, employees? You got servants who work for you? Isn't it interesting how after a long day's work, when, when, when you're both done work, you still have an ante- expectation that you would be served? And that servant doesn't even really complain because that, that's the job they live? Isn't that interesting? In fact, at the end of it, they, they would say, instead of, uh, I'm entitled to something, it's, I'm simply doing my duty. Jesus is actually making this interesting point. It's not about, it's not about like a social construct of, of servanthood. He's making this interesting point about attitude, an interesting point about an entitled attitude. For a lot of us, we are doing good things in one area of life, thinking that they should count for bonus points in other areas of our life. Are you following me? We're like, I work really hard here. I'm doing all this stuff, like this charitable work that I do. That should count for something. Sure, it counts for charitable work. What it doesn't count for is having an entitled bad attitude. Right? You're like, man, I'm so good to all these people at work, but when I get home, man, if, if someone crosses me the wrong way, I've been so patient all day, and then I'm going to let them have it. It's interesting. Like, that's not the way this thing works. So a servant who's a servant in the field when they return home, continues to serve, and their attitude is actually like a, an attitude of, of your welcome. He goes, what master would then thank it? Interestingly, Jesus is the master who would thank them. Because in his stories, he says this, a master gives talents to his workers. When they put it to work, he's like, "Woo! well done. Good and faithful service. Come, join me in my happiness. In other words, he is a perfect master. He's speaking to people like, well, I wouldn't thank a servant. It's their job. Jesus is like, I do thank servants. I do thank servants. But the, the, the proper response when I've thanked them is not grumbling. It's not entitlement. It's like, oh, actually, I, I think I was just doing what I'm designed to do. For some of us, the greatest way we could grow in faith is simply to put to death entitlement in our life. To just do away with entitlement. To look at every situation we have and be like, I get to serve today. Man, I get to serve my roommate today. My roommate who drives me crazy. I get to serve them today. And it's my duty as a roommate to be the best roommate there's ever been. I get to serve my spouse today. I feel like I'm entitled to some things, but I get to serve them today. I'm doing my, Jesus puts it this way, and the the, the scripture says it this way, do everything you do as unto the Lord. I just got put on the task at work that I hate doing. I'm doing this for Jesus, and it's my duty, and I'm doing it happily. 
Because you know what? He's a good master. He's a master who actually thanks people when they do work for him. So I'm doing everything as unto the Lord. And even as I sweep this floor, God is developing character in me, and I'm looking more like him. And I, he's, he's trusting me with something little, and if I can do this right, he'll give me bigger things. Not a good way to live. Not a freeing way to live. All of this requires faith. To stop offending would require some faith that you just trust that, that, that God in his time will make things clear. To stop being offended requires faith that you would just simply trust, you know what, I'm going to extend forgiveness. Who am I to hold bitterness? Which is a little bit. I can uproot it and move on. It takes a whole lot of faith to not live entitled. I really think it would, it would shift our, our view of work, shift our view of family, shift our view of friendships, shift our view of members in society. If we'd stop living with all these things we think we're, we've earned or deserve and go, man, it's my joy to serve. There's nothing greater than serving. It's my joy. I get to serve right now. I get to serve other people, and as I do that, I'm doing it unto the Lord. I heard someone recently saying this when asked to do things, and if you can do them with joy on the inside of your head, even if you're going, I'm not doing this for you, that's okay. Doing it unto the Lord. But sometimes we read Jesus and we just we we hear harshness. Do you know what I'm talking about? He's like, and then what of you, which masters would say thank you? They're all thinking like, yeah, you're right. Masters don't say thank you. And then he's like, but I do. That's why it's a joy to serve. Like that's why there's actual joy to serve because I bring reward. You're looking at, at faith from the risk standpoint. I'm looking at it from the reward standpoint. It's my desire to reward you. It's my desire to grow you. So you see those gains that you want. The disciples are like, Jesus, increase our faith. He's like, I am. Even asking for that question is an increase of faith from what you used to have. There's some of you, you're, you're getting stronger than you thought you'd ever be. It's just happening day by day, slowly, and you don't notice the difference. You look in the mirror, you're like, I'm still the same old person with the same old hangups. But the rest of us, we can see it. Things are changing. You're looking different. You're living different. You're responding different than you used to. Why? Because time with Jesus increases your faith. And then there's this miracle, okay? We'll end with this, this miracle that happens, this miracle of gratitude. Jesus is walking to a city. He's just told them all this stuff, a couple little wise quotes, an interesting story. They're kind of mulling it over, going like, wow, hard to do everything as service. Sometimes I just, I just want to live for me. They're thinking this through, and then these 10, ten lepers come. They're, they're diseased hopelessly, and they need, they need healing. From a distance, they shout out, hey, Jesus, have mercy on us. Like they throw out a little prayer, if you will. Jesus' response, he's like, yeah, just go. Go to the priest. And on their way, they're healed, okay? Interesting, through obedience, they're healed. Do you notice that? Little risk, how weird. It's like, uh, still have leprosy. Yeah, go to the priest. Okay, still got leprosy. Hey, wait a sec, where did the leprosy go? Like on the other side of that risk, they, they experienced reward. On their way, they were healed. For some of you, are like, God, just heal me and I'll do anything. Just do the thing he's called you to do, and you'll experience the reward that you're waiting for. So they're on their way, and they're healed. And nine of them, I can only conclude, forget why they were healed. Nine of them come up with other reasons. One of them is like, oh, science. Right? Another one is like, actually, you know what, guys? Maybe it was just raspberry jam all along. I don't think I was ever actually a leper. 
In one of them, when they received the thing that they asked for, they probably thought to themselves, it is about time. And someone else, they were like, I was going to go show the priest, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go show my haters. And someone else, they're like, man, I've just been suffering so long. I just need a break. I'm so glad I don't have leprosy. I'm just going to chill here. And I, I don't know what they all did, but one person in this group of 10 concluded, I know where this miracle came from. I need to go and show gratitude for the source of this miracle. And he turns back. He comes running to Jesus. This time, you notice it says that they, at first they were at a distance. Hey, Jesus, just have mercy on us. He's like, okay, just obey and I will. But this time he comes near and he falls at Jesus' feet. This time there's no barrier between him and Jesus. He understands how, how loving and kind Jesus is. He comes, he falls at his feet. He's grateful. Here's the take home for you and I. When we ask Jesus for things and then they happen, we should be grateful. But we start going, well, I mean, I know I asked, but it's probably science. I know I asked, but I actually probably didn't actually really have that need. Now that I don't have it anymore, it wasn't that bad. Now that I've got the thing I want, good. Now I'm just going to chill right here. Now that i got the thing I want, I'm going to go rub it in people's face. I got that. I got that. I was single. You thought I'd always be single. I'm gonna, I'm, I got to get to Facebook. I got to update my status. I got everyone to know. We need pics. We need pics. We got to prove this. But where's the gratitude? Like where's the remembering that there was a faith moment that led to this? Man, I think gratitude would change our lives. Gratitude would grow our faith because when we have moments where like, hey, have you ever seen God move? You'd be like, actually, now that you, you mention it, like 14 times this week, because I, I present all my requests to God. That's what the Bible says. In humility, I just, I bring everything I have to God. I bring him into my world. Even if it's at a distance, I'm like, oh God, I don't know how I'm going to get through today. I'm so tired. But when you get through today, thank him. He gave you the energy. Why can we not ascribe to him the miracles that he gives? We answer them away to everything, but when they don't happen, well, God's fault. If only God had come through. But when he does, where's the gratitude? You know you can come right to the feet of Jesus. You can fall at his feet and thank him. And then he goes this, hey, now you just know what? But just go. You're free. And know what healed you? Your faith healed you. I'm telling you, for some of us, we just think we need, what I need is more faith. I need, I, need, I need, like, more pronounced, showy faith. No, you just need to put the little bit you have into practice. Have you ever heard it said when Jesus says, oh, you of little faith? I kind of feel like Jesus probably sighed, like, <laughs> you of little faith. It leads me to believe God wants us to have big faith, right? But you know the word he uses? He's actually you of short-term faith. That's what he's speaking. That's what he's pointing out. He's like, guys, for real? That short term? We were just worshiping. Like, for real? The first? Seriously? He never asks us to have faith bigger than a mustard seed. It's like, small is good. I'm good, I'm good with that. Just put it into work. But he, he never rebukes faith that's small in size. But he does challenge faith that's short in duration 
telling you, you want to increase your faith, just put the little bit you have into practice and watch it grow. Gains day in, day out. So sometime this week, you're going to have the opportunity to offend. Just don't. And on the inside, you're like, man, I'm, put, I'm putting some deposits into a bank of faith. I'm trusting in God that he's my defender. For some of you, you're gonna, you don't want to feel like forgiving, but when you do, you're going, you know what? I know I'm forgiven. I know how good God's been to me. I'm going to be good to someone else. For some of you, there's going to be those moments you feel so entitled. I've done all this over in this category. I want credit in this category. Just, just embrace everything before you with a servant's heart. Be that, be that person. Like, you know what? I'm just doing my duty. I'm doing what God saved me to do. I'm living my call. <laughs> you know, someone, living my best life. Do you know what your best life is? Serving. Jesus said, you want to be great in God's kingdom? Learn to serve everybody. That's how you live your best life. Learn to serve everyone. Find a need and meet the need. You're going to live your best life. And then when God answers prayer, well, let's be people who always have gratitude on our lips. Whoo, guys, guess what? I thought I was going to be late. And then I caught all green lights. And when I was thinking about it, like, you know, I did pray a prayer. At a distance, like, oh, God, please get me there. And so I just want, it's interesting, you know what? In times of chaos, people call out to God. Like most often, if someone's in a car accident, dear Lord, they might not even believe him. Jesus, right? Chaos, and like, that's how you grow faith, chaotic situations. It is one way, but I think the greater way is that you're like, man, I'm just, I'm going to cast all my cares on him because he cares for me. He, he knows how uncomfortable this situation is for me. He's going to give me words to speak. I'm going to trust him. And then after he does it, like, guess what? I was nervous, but then I started talking, and I was okay. Begin to live with that type of gratitude. It'll grow your faith. And on the other side of it, you're going to say, I've got a faith that's not founded on my eloquence or my persuasion or my smarts. I've got a faith that is developed. That's God's powers on my side. He defends me instead of me having to be a, a, an offender. Man, he, he extends his forgiveness to me so much, so I'm living in so much freedom. He's uprooted the things that used to be there. I'm grateful to serve. I'm finding reward in it. He keeps, you know, asking me to join him in his happiness. It's great. And in gratitude, not only am I living in a miracle based on faith, I'm, I'm at the feet of Jesus. I'm with him. I'm in his presence. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church Podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.